Thank you for tuning in to Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. This is the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, LANE, a program of the National Performance Network. LANE supports arts organizations of color and rural organizations with time and resources needed to grow their infrastructure in ways that are culturally authentic and moves the field towards justice. I'm your host, Sage Crump, Program Specialist for Lane. Welcome to this episode of Tactile. Thank you for tuning in. We're excited to have this fourth installment of our Cornerstone series, Racial Justice and Cultural Equity, and in conversation with Wes Taylor. This episode of Tactile will round out our four cornerstones. The cornerstones are the guiding principles of leveraging a network for equity. They guide our practice and help us be sure that the ways in which we are moving inside the initiative that we call LANE reflects what we believe the world can be. We are practice. We are in practice. So I want to welcome someone that I enjoy talking to so incredibly much. And um, uh, one, I'm so excited to introduce Wes Taylor. Um, Wes, welcome to Tactile. And will you, I always like to have people give their own bios. Like what, what would you like folks to know before we begin this conversation about who you are and how you think about the world and what you do? Okay, this always jams me up because I think I wear so many hats, but, and I usually like cut it short, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to go long on explaining like who I am, what I do. Um, First starting off, I think with our connection, um, I'm an artist with complex movements along with you, Sage. All transparency. Uh, yeah. yeah, full transparency. But I think I, I also highlight that because, um, you know, doing that work with you has been really enlightening, um, has been really, you know, uh, something like based on growth. And I think my, my my journey through the arts as I go through some more of my resonating things has been informed by you a lot. So I find myself quoting Sage or or thinking about Sage thoughts a lot as I go through the world. And, and usually if I'm transmitting you, and not to make this a love fest, but I do find that people really resonate with the things that have resonated with you with me from you when I when I pass those things on. So um, as an artist with complex movements, um, you know, I do animation, I do uh, art direction, I feel like I do design, I'm a designer. Um, I, th- I think about arts and equity a lot through, um, through economics and economic models. Um, I'm also a printmaker, I run a studio in Detroit called Talking Dolls. I spent my time between Detroit and Richmond, Virginia, where I teach design and foundation arts at Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, What else? I also just think about space. I'm a curator. So I think about the curation process as a way to provide opportunities. But I also think about the curation process as a way to create space um, for artists, I'm really using this practice of handing off keys to people um, when I have, like, you know, access to resources or resources, like not necessarily being a gatekeeper, just giving the keys away. And I think that's really important. Um, I make music, you know, I've been part of hip hop scenes, um, the hip hop scene in Detroit, you know, in my, in my, early teens to mid twenties, still being involved in music. Uh, I run uh, a label with Ill Invincible. We've been doing that for a very long time, which is translated into like a media company. Huh. So yeah, I'll, 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 I'll stop there, but you know, as, as different hats come up, I'll, I'll, I'll speak to that based on this conversation. No, I, I appreciate you sharing all the hats and not to make this a love fest, but I was really excited when you said you had time for this. Um, and I think the the sharing of all the hats is 
important, you know, NPN is National Performance Network. It's nonprofit organizations, arts organizations and artists and support touring. And so there's so many ways to think about um, how white supremacy is, is embedded in the way the sector functions, in the way um, we, uh, um, in the way art and culture moves through this country and, or the world really, I shouldn't even make mm-hmm. it specific. Um, and I think because you have so many hats and because you're in so many places and, and the depth to which you think about this, I think you have a perspective that comes from a lot of different angles. Um, and most specifically, um, how to get, how, how to work, not even just around it, but how to work differently, mm-hmm. how to work differently in knowing it. So I'm going to start with the, the first question that I, I ask everybody, um, because at its core, we're thinking about transformation. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and we spend a lot of time thinking about change. Uh, and so I'm really curious, how do you believe change happens, Wes? I mean, I can, I'm still thinking that through. I think the work with complex movements really has me always thinking about change and how change happens, especially, I would say, the work with, you know, thinking about emergent strategies, um, emergence, the emblems that we use in complex movements, as symbols for change making and being able to meditate on those things, those metaphors for change making. And so I think early on with the work we are doing with complex movements and using the the, the larger metaphor or like the larger idea of Newtonian physics versus quantum physics. And that really caught me a lot. And I, I, I still, you know, mm-hmm. I think 10 years on, on meditating on those ideas of still, like, I still think about that. Um, and so, you know, like just a quick explanation on like thinking about that, where the origins of how that's come to my conscious or my consciousness or just come to like, just into, you know, my ways of thinking is from, from Grace Lee Boggs and, and, and how Grace was wrestling with this idea of probably a lifetime of seeing the way movements worked and then like trying to like create an abrupt change to that. And I'm sure there's like a gradual aspect, but the, the thing that Grace proposed, I think is an abrupt thing going from Newtonian physics, which, you know, speaks to, you know, in science speaks to masses um, equal masses and force and, and, and mm-hmm. it talks about number, you know, and numbers of people, but in physics, you know, you're talking about a body in motion in space that won't change course or direction unless it's met with equal or more, you know, power, right? Um, and, and I think when Gray started thinking about quantum physics, where at a quantum level, which is a hyper, hyper, hyper microscopic level, you know, the level of atoms, quarks, um, there are different rules. And, and, and physicists haven't really found ways to merge those two worlds together, but it's still part of our world. And going into that level, thinking about how information doesn't need, information can exist in multiple places simultaneously across vast distances, right? Not only information, information creates change at vast distances simultaneously. When you start to talk about small scale, um, small scale movements affecting large scale systems where I think the, you know, the previous idea and and the wisdom was before is like, those things don't cross over. We don't understand how those things cross over. So I very, I very much value small scale interaction as far as change goes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and another thing that I've been thinking about, once again, like I, one thing that you, I think, I don't know if you are the origin of this quote, but I use this all the time, talking about change on a spectrum, right? So I think a lot of times people get really 
caught up and consumed by this idea of binaries being able to convince or shift other binary thoughts or movements or whatever, right? So you're on one polar opposite trying to convince somebody over here that what they're doing is wrong or they need to change or whatever. And and usually because I think the um the connotation of like preaching to the choir has such a bad connotation, right? And, 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 and what really resonates with me is like, well, the choir needs to be spoken to because choirs need to be directed. Choirs need to harmonize. Choirs always need attention and maintenance. Otherwise, you know, and, 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 and so the combination of like being steadfast or like preaching to the choir is actually not a bad thing because choirs need to harmonize for their messages to resonate. Um, really gives me an idea of like change where I'm not thinking about the polar opposite. So that in combination with change being on a spectrum where, you know, you're always connected to somebody that always has a shift in ideas or is not necessarily matched with you perfectly on ideas and values and things like that. But if you're touching the people closest to you, then those things like reverberate and work in like concentric circles, you know? And so... I think about that as, as a way of change. And I think what, and then going back to like this idea of like spiral. So once again, like I, I think about these things all the time, right? And, and, and what is really, I'll give an example the, um, of, of all the things that I just brought up. And it is in the wake of Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd, um, you know, Aubrey, um, like all of these things that have happened, right, but within the sports world. So four years ago, we had the Colin Kaepernick situation in the NFL, right, Mm -hmm. where it was very divisive um, situation where Colin Kaepernick was, you know, protesting police violence, right, in the wake of another wave of, like, tragic murders by the state and and police on, on, on Black bodies, right? And, and so Colin Kaepernick was speaking out against that and his message was very calculated. It was very well vetted. He was very intentional in what he was doing and how he was doing it. But that message was out allowed to be like confused um, by outside people that didn't agree with what he was doing. Right. So it mm-hmm. became about a whole lot of different things that actually dominated the conversation. And that was four years ago. That conversation never went away, but now there's been like this total almost 180 shift in the way people view these things. It it, it spins back around in this cycle um, and going to like this, um, to, you know, this spiral movement of justice and change within sports and the NFL, right? Um, So we, naturally come back to Colin Kaepernick who has lost his job in those the last four years, right? Has been ostracized by NFL owners. And then you have uh, NFL players bringing that issue back up, right? But this time around, because of the harmonizing, because like the message was able to be distorted and, and pretty much um, changed, uh, you know, by by the media and 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 whatever, I think because Colin Kaepernick kept preaching to the choir, the next time around the message stunk that much more. So the people that gave misinformation were shot down almost immediately. People were able to be lockstep in the way like no people people are saying with like you know very confidently no this is not what Colin Kaepernick was doing it was not about that the people speaking on it this way are wrong and wrong for these reasons and it was able to take off because those people that were wrong were shot down like because you had a choir of people that actually knew the message understood the message it sunk in and so the conversation took a step forward right so now there's there's very little this side and that side, you know, you know, having some sort of justification, Colin Kaepernick has been seen as justified in his stance and people that were like naysayers 
don't have the ground to stand on because the choir is so much better. So I'm, 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 I'm also, you know, so that's like a story thinking about change and like how it re-comes back. And if, you, if you're harmonizing the choir, those opportunities and moments will present themselves again with more force, um, more steadfastness, steadfastness, um, and, 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 and I think clarity in the way that it is approached. So that's one way I think change happens. So. No, I, I appreciate that so much because you're making me think about um, just sticking with the sports analogies. Hold on, arts folks. We're going to follow the sports today for a second. Um, is that I'm watching um, um, sports figures now, like that they're, Colin kneeling, there was a level of kind of ambiguity in that, like folks like, what are you doing? And, but now you just see people at press releases saying, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor, arrest the police that murdered Breonna Taylor. Like, I'm going to leave you no space. I'm going to leave you no wiggle room, no interpretation. The words that are coming out of my mouth are, you know, regardless of whatever question you ask, arrest the officers that murdered Breonna Taylor, right? Like yeah. that. And so I, I, I feel you on this like iteration um, and the deepening as time moves on. I'm also really excited about what you said because Lane, Leveraging a Network for Equity is an initiative um, that supports arts organizations of color and rural arts and, and rural arts organizations. And there's a way in which sometimes folks think that we deal with racial justice simply because of the who is involved, right? And what we're really trying to do is um, even inside arts organizations of color, even inside historically black organizations, historically Chicano organizations, look at where white supremacy is impacting how we practice. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we push past that first level of, oh, let's just throw money at people of color. Let's just throw money at people of color and call it a day and say, you know, that's and I, that, that we're doing equity work, but there's also a level of equity work. There's also a level of unpacking that we need to do as, as artists of color, as folks of color in the field, because magical Negro syndrome is real. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to say, just in case people aren't aware, these are two black people talking. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try and clarify our references for people who might not be. Listening. No doubt. Yeah, um, uh, people um, choosing a particular person of color and being like, you're amazing. Yeah. You're fabulous. It's yeah. also a way to erase our, our humanity. Um, and, and erase our, our dignity and our growth um, by trying to make us something that is other than hu like superhumans, like right, right, like shiny. Um, so I appreciate what you're saying around the choir and and small scale because I feel like that's really endemic in this um, in this process that we're going through with Lane. So one of the things that um, we did early on is we made where we began to tease out. Um, equity and justice, right? Like um, when we started, like there, there still is a lot of conversation in the field, um, it's like cultural equity, racial equity. I want to, to ask you if you can kind of take the, the conversation around change and let's start to put, let's start to put race in it. Let's mm -hmm. put race in it and, and how, do, so um, do the phrases like racial justice, cultural equity, how do you think about equity, justice, race, white supremacy, um, and the way these are all showing up? Yeah, I mean, I think in regards to equity and justice, I, I don't think they're in opposition to each other. I think they are movements or, or you know, paving stones towards justice. So it's like equity is necessary to talk about still when you're talking about justice, but I think ultimately you need to be talking about justice, not equity um, for me personally, right? And so it's like, I, I, I never try to land on the word equity um, when, when I'm talking these, these things. I don't think it's, it's irrelevant. I think it's very relevant. And, and in order to have these paving stones conversations around equity need to happen. Um, yeah, and, and they kind of, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think about it because as a designer 
and going to one of my other connections with people, you know, part of the series and, and the work that I do with the Design Justice Network with, with Una Lee, right, is really thinking about what is enough, right? What, you know, and, and, and I think when you talk, I, I'm, I'm going to go on a couple of tangents because I'm thinking of like things are popping up. But when we talk about equity, yeah, yeah, okay. But when we talk about equity, and so yeah, when we talk about equity, there's a background um, implication of resources, right? Right, because equity means a distribution of things, mm. um, and 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 depending, and and equity means actually how those things are being distributed. And you know, we we know the difference, not we know the difference, but there's the difference between equal and equity, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 so like those nuances need to come up, but it's all when you talk about resources and we're talking within a capitalistic society, then we're we're talking about resources in a capitalistic frame, right? So equity in within capitalism um is is a thing. Mm. And, and so, but when you talk about justice within capitalism, then, then it becomes really murky to me, mm-hmm. right? Because I think, because when we're talking about the United States, especially in, in this context, we're talking about distribution, we're talking about race, we are talking about resources, and um, justice has actually never happened in this country, right? It's, it's never been a thing that has been like dealt with. Equity has never been a thing that has happened in this country. Um, and, and so, you know, we talk about these things in, in, an, in an abstract way, but, you know, the, the, and I go back to design, but this country was designed in a way for those things never to happen. Right. So when, when I, I talk about code and like a lot of times I think about like um, artificial intelligence, I think about algorithms. Right. And, and when, when we go, when there's this conversation about like algorithmic bias that comes up, it's because there's bias that went into the code. Right. That, that runs a program or an algorithm. And, and that bias is a reflection of human bias. There's always, you, you can't get around it. They haven't figured out a way to get around that. They have, now they have algorithms that can check for bias and, 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 and try to correct the bias on top of bias. But I, I say all this to say is we're at a watershed moment with these technologies of how we will be governed in the future, right? one of the crucial moments in the past that we're living in, in the imagination of what I would say the original code of this country is the constitution and all the amendments and, and all the other like documents that go with our constitution. And so the constitution is a racist document, right? And that is the code that governs us. So in order to actually achieve, in my view, equity and justice, you actually need a page one rewrite on the constitution. It, go, it goes to that point, right? Um, and, and because I don't think these things ever can be achieved based on who's in the room. So a lot of times you have, a lot of times you have within algorithms and, and artificial intelligence and like all the things that go with that, you have all these weird instances of how these things perform on black bodies, on black faces, um, even gendered bodies, right? Um, and then when we talk intersectionality, right? Like you talk about black female bodies, black trans bodies, they jammed those systems all the way, it's because those bodies were not in the room when these things were being developed, right? These minds weren't being in, weren't in the room when these things were being developed. Same as the constitution, right? And, and so it's easy to omit 
um, or have like very little consideration for a body that's not there. So therefore, so like, like make this analogy, right? So eventually we got to three fourths of a person right within these documents, yeah. right? But these bodies were never in the room, right? So that's why they never show up whole within these documents, right? Mm. Same with like algorithms and things like that. They recognize these things if we're talking about computer vision on a fraction of a scale of accuracy as they do recognizing the bodies that were in the room that developed it, right? Yeah. So once again, like, so this, this is how I think about justice and equity on that level when we're at these watershed moments of who's there and, and the consciousness that goes into documents or code. And I, I make very little distinction between those two things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. I have so many notes. <laughs> and this is why I love talking to you so much. Um, because I think one of the things that I, I really appreciate is that you will go to the root of a thing. Before we start, then like you went straight to, you went all the way back to like the beginning and, and you know, you, I've talked about it with you and I talk about it a lot around the importance of history and mm -hmm. understanding how we got here so that we can, if we're going to create something that we have to understand how we got here. And so yeah. even talking about the, the founding uh, um, uh, documents of this country. And I think one of the, the things that you're making me uh, start to kind of play with in, in a more intentional way, or at least just um, rummage around in my mind is this idea of um, equity as, as connected to resources and the redistribution of resources means equity can exist inside racialized capitalism. Justice, however, cannot live inside racial capitalism, right? Yeah, so yeah. There's a way in which by, um, because uh, uh, justice requ requires us not to have a subjugated class. Mm -hmm. And racialized capitalism in order to function as an economic system requires a subjugated class. Yeah, um, yeah. And so there, the, the, there's really something really interesting to me about what you, how you're framing it as like paving stones. Not that we're going to throw away equity because that's, that's part of it, but mm -hmm. paving stones, how they fit together um, on our way towards something that, yeah. um, that looks like justice, which means there's, there's a, um, a wrestling and recognition of the way capitalism and specifically um, racialized capitalism lives inside um, our, uh, in, inside the, the practices of this country and, and the field of art and culture. Yeah. Um, I want to, so, and you ended right sort of as a segue into my next question. You're so good at that. Because <laughs> um, my next question was, uh, is about um, when it comes to racial justice and cultural equity, what should folks be looking at? And, and you left off with um, this beautiful uh, uh, reflection of, the reason folks can be three-fourths of a person is because they're not in the room, right? And yeah. about how many things get built for, like, so is that, that um, and also, the, you know, it's a design justice principle, right? Like, mm -hmm. how many things get built for someone? Right. Because, but they're not in the room. And so they can never show up whole if yeah. they're in the room. What are some of the other things in your mind that, that, people in, in art and culture sector, or just in general, when they're talking about racial justice and, uh, and cultural equity, what are the places that, that they should be thinking about? Or like how, um, so there's who's in the room, like that, yeah. that's an important. Yeah. What are some of the other pieces that people might um, begin to look at about how they're practicing? I mean, like not to like paint the broadest stroke ever, but I would say that um, if you're in an art space and somehow you find yourself in an art space with, I'm, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm going to speak to, I'm going to speak to black people as of right now. Um, but, and if you find yourself in a room with no black people in it, but I think the, the flip side is only because I'm speaking towards black people, but 
if you find yourself in a room with all white people in it, in an art space, I don't care what art space it is, that space is racist, straight up and down. And, 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 and you have to like take that standpoint because the thing is, is if I enter that room and it's just me or somebody else, that is my thought. And not only is that my thought, it is my thought, like before I might even give spaces the benefit of the doubt, right? I've never seen a situation that where I'm the only person in the room of color and there are no racist or, or racialized issues in that place, mm. right? And, 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 and it never failed, like in my 42 years of life, I think it, it has never failed, right? And, and so, um, so that's what I'm saying, like me entering the room, that is my thought. That is my experience. And, and, and so people working towards that actually really have to internalize that deeply. Like, I think these conversations have been happening. They are, they are circulating throughout society. People are really starting, starting to understand and know what these things mean. But um, yeah, it, it, those are non, for me right now, those are non-starters. Like, you got to get more, like, like, we can't have these conversations. This is a racist situation. Um, and, and, you know, and, 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 this, and this, it becomes, I don't know, tricky and, and, and touchy in ways, because I'm, I'm still that. Um, and, and then I, I think about history, right? So mm-hmm. at previous institutions I've been in, I found myself, you know, say in Detroit, where I, I was teaching for a while before I came to Virginia, in the middle of Detroit, I would find myself the only black person in the room that is a city that is over 80% um, black, right? Mm-hmm. And these are institutions that have been around for a long time. I don't care what people's like thoughts and intentions are, you had to work very, 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 very hard to maintain that status quo mm-hmm. inside a city that is eighty percent black. Yeah. Um. And and so the 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 work has to there's, there's, go go ahead go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think you're speaking to something that that we hear all the time, right? The the out of like, I don't know anybody, I can't find anybody else. Uh, like the, 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 um, the presence of people of color on stage, uh, but not inside the organizations, right? Or even when, you know, you know, you are that higher, what kind of power do you have? You know, you sit on the, the equity committee because, you know, everyone's got one now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, or the DEI committee, you know. Um, um, and there is a, the, 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 the ability to actually shift an institution as a singular person of color, as a singular Black person in this space. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, it's hella unfair. Yeah. It's just ridiculously unfair to expect or ask. Yeah. Um, and uh, most times it's just not possible. Like it's just not even the intention. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, I, mean, I mean, I mean. So even to answer your question more, like these are things I wrestle with, right? And I'm painting broad, and I think in some ways might sound extreme, but I don't. I don't know if this is extreme, right? Because I'm actually doing. I'm trying to do this in practice myself, right? Because um, I don't see another way for actual change to happen, especially racially. Um, especially, you know, and, and, and I think racially and intersection, intersectionally as well, I don't think these changes can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you boil down to it, it's two things. Drastically changing these systems has to happen. Um, page one rewrites everywhere. But at the same time, it's straight up like seeding of power. Like people actually have to step up, step off, like people would have to like step off and step away. Literally, that is what is going to have to happen um, for this to happen. And, and if you can't internalize that, then there's I don't see change actually happening. Um, 
And so these are things that I try to practice in myself because I realize that's what's, what's needed. And, and so a, an example is my, like, I have dreams and visions of a lot of things. Like I like to start things and, and, mm-hmm. and whatever, right? But I also understand that other people have dreams and visions, right? And so we talk about on an intersectional level, me as um, a black male, male and like middle class, like I'm, I'm going to take all of those things where and in my education and my education level and take the, all those things into consideration. So I do know me getting to this point, my blackness, I feel like has prevented me from all kinds of opportunities, all, all up and down, all through every stage of my career, right? And whatever, I can't, those are things I can't dwell on. It's just something that I know that my blackness has kept me away. Um, and, and, and I think in some ways, like, it's, it's twisted and, and, and messed up, but I'm also, in a lot of ways, thankful that I didn't achieve certain things that I set out for because they were based on standards of achievement and success that were also racialized. You know what I mean? And, 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 um, and, and, and so, I, I, you know, and so it's like when we have these conversations, that's because I'm, I'm always turning these things through of like what is success and, and, and things like that and, and how is that racialized um, and, 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 and imposed on me. Um, but the, the flip side of that is, as you know, being lucky enough to be an instructor and a teacher at a university, um, I've, I've developed relationships with people that have been in my classes and they have hopes and dreams. Plus they are younger than me. Um, and then, and, and, um, our, you know, and, 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 and I don't, I don't care are potentially like brighter, more talented, um, and more capable than I am, right? And so I know I have a lot of capability to do things and to start new things that are necessary out there. And there's a whole generation of people that also have seen, are seeing the same things. And I think at this moment, it has collapsed what a lot of people know and see, right? So it has taken me 10 years to understand about institution, institutions, I'm seeing... Um, people that I've had in classes that are now my peers seeing these things almost instantly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm like, okay, well, it took me 10 years to figure that out. You're seeing this right now. You're seeing pathways to deal with it. I'm going to figure out how to like channel resources and give you the keys to whatever I have for you to begin and start these things and address these issues because of, I think youth, and age and the energy that comes with youth is really important. Not to say that I'm not youthful or whatever, but like I also, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think those things are important and the ability to fail youthfully is really important. So like I, I'm, I've been bringing up cause like this idea of schools and, and new schools and models and institution comes up and I'm like, I could come up with a really dope school. Like I've, I've had dreams and visions of that. And then I'll, I'm seeing like, um, you know, the youth that I work with also having those visions. And I'm like, I would rather you start fail, you know, maybe in your, you say your late twenties in, in doing this, right. And, and having, and supporting that so that by the time, you know, you're 35, 40 and I'm putting these, you know, these weird arbitrary like ages and numbers on things. Yeah. Right. But just to give some kind of context, Right, but by, by the time that you're 40, you're a beast at whatever you're doing. And it would, you know, instead of me at, a, at the time when I'm, or maybe even at, once again, like at 35, you're a beast at doing these things, understanding institutions, how to reform and reshape institutions and how to run these reshaped and, re, you know what I'm saying, institutions yeah. at 35, as opposed to where I would get there at 50. You know what I mean? And so that gives me actually hope in the world where if I'm handing off keys and resources and seeding certain things, because I have enough outlets, I'm lucky enough with enough outlets that maybe in the course of all this, you'd be lucky enough to hire me or consult me in some way. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and that would be great. You know what I mean? Or by seeing that, 
I can help build and add be additive instead of being like, no, you need to wait your turn. No, you need to like get some more knots. Like you need more experience. No, nah, like I'm like that's experience is out the door right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and being able to run institutions because we have like people of a certain age and generation making decisions about um, institutions, but also have been institutionalized by these institutions and have in a lot of ways been reinforcing these things. And even if they realize that um, change is needed, that change becomes a lot slower, I feel. Um, and, and, and so I think there's this combination of, and, and also like me as a black male, like I'm handing this over to like black females uh, you know, queer people, you know what I'm saying? That I think actually yeah. would do the bang up job that we've been like really asking for. And and we know what's going like, we know they're going to do a great job, but there's been a lot of fear in ceding the, the keys and the control over. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, oh, I appreciate that. Like there's, there's a, um, that's, there's this like relationship between experience and experiments. Right? Yeah. And so when you're talking about the like time and youthfulness, I appreciate like the, the, the numbers are arbitrary, but this idea of having an opportunity to, to experiment, fail and iterate um, into something next um, feels really, really resonant. And I think that's really uh, important in this conversation because there can be this sense of like, got to get it right, right? Like in order to get it right, you want to draw on the li- even the lived experience of so many who have been around for a while, but that also doesn't always give you the, the, the runway to try something, experiment, experiment. What happened? Where's the learning in the experiment itself, right? Yep, yep. Learning from the people, but the learning in the experiment itself. And that pushes us past this hierarchy of experts. And yeah, 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 yeah. It really gets into like the, the, um, the massaging of, of, of um, multiple folks coming together to learn together, mm-hmm. to learn together inside an experiment. Um, so that, that you really are teeing up these balls so beautifully. Because <laughs> my next question was like, um, are there um, inventions, interventions, or disruptions, either in artistic practice, um, or in institutions that you're seeing, they're like, oh, that that feels really important for folks to to think about. Or this is where I think the inventions, interventions, and disruptions can can um, exist, and where I feel like they they could be taking place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are tons of them. There are tons mm-hmm. of them happening. I mean, I'm not an active participant in like social media, but it's happening in social media all day, every day. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 constant um, back and forth about in this conversation about cancel culture, um, I think is, is, is actually an example of these interventions. Um, and without getting into a full conversation about cancel culture, cause I actually think it's a misnomer. I don't think it's not canceling, nor is it a culture whatsoever. Um, and, 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 also, I think the conversation becomes really misguided because you will always have what is being claimed cancel culture if we're living in the world of Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, um, and the owners of, say, uh, Instagram, whoever, whatever they're called, and, and, and Google, right? Um, that won't go away. You can't intellectualize that. You can't write enough op-ed pieces about it. You can't write enough petitions about trying to cancel cancel culture as long as we live in this world of Facebook. Mm-hmm. We didn't cook like that. That's, this is not our world. This is the only way that people have power and perceive power within it. So whether it's being expressed, whether it's being wielded in in um, in some people's eyes, misguided ways, um, in destructive ways. Right. I'm actually not advocating for it as a thing, but I also don't think it ever goes away as long as we have Instagram, as long as we have a Mark Zuckerberg being the arbiters of free speech. Right. So that's the world that we actually live in. We didn't set up the conditions for that. Mark Zuckerberg needs to go away 
Instagram needs to go away um, in order for cancel culture to go away. Nobody really has that conversation, though. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you trying to take away folks' social media, Wes? I'm not, <laughs> but I'm not saying that. But what I'm, but what, so this is not even, this is not even uh, um, indictment of social media. I'm saying mm-hmm. these are not our platforms. Platforms. Hmm. See, that's that's it, right? You're getting to. I wrote down as you were talking about, like you, you've mentioned a couple of times, this question of like power. Yeah. Um, even in your own in your own practice of like recognizing yourself as a gatekeeper in, in ways and like how you give away the keys. And like, can you talk a little bit more about um, um, power? Uh, Cause I think that when you're talking about justice and equity, power is so much at the core of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think power is always at the core. Um, and, and I think power and dynamics of power and how they're wielded always need to be checked. They need to be acknowledged. Um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways, they need to be exposed. You need to be vulnerable about power and you have to be willing. Like I said, this doesn't happen. I mean, none of this happens unless power is seeded. And, and I'm, what I'm saying is, it's like, that's the nice way. That is really the nice way, right? Um, there's enough out there there are enough bags out there. There's an abundance out there mm. where seeding does not have to be seen as a bad, even when, we, you know, cause there's this fear. There's definitely this fear now of like the COVID world, economic downturns, all of this, right? But um, the, 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 the approach has to be counterintuitive. We can't hold on to like, like grasping on to these things, like our life depended on these things, because really other lives depend on these things as well. But also if you let go, there's the chance that something will run better, resources will flow more freely. Um, there, there's the potential there. So you will see the benefit of letting go um, because somebody's doing a job better than you potentially, um, and 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 I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about jobs in a, in a in a very specific sense, but then and I think in a conceptual sense too. Um, and and the reason why I feel good about this is because like I've been an instructor for a decade, right? If I was doing my job right then me handing over the keys was mean I, means I was doing my job right. Like, my hope is this, when I have people in my classroom that they are smarter, better, and whatever than me, and that is what I'm trying to enhance and, and bring out. Like, I think the future is bleak if one, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to show you so much, but not so much that you can get better than me. That means we're going to have diminishing returns, right? On everything. If, if my job is to give you just enough, but not to surpass me. Mm. Well, that's a word for every institution, whether you're a professor, whether you're an executive director, whether you're a, 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 an artistic director of a company, like that is a word. That's a word right now. Thank you. Um, but yeah, but, but I think, yeah, these interventions are happening in like, for instance, like in, in schools, I'm seeing students using their voices, right, on, on social media. And, and they're doing a lot. It's like, I'm, I'm not a big, even though like, you know, talk, I'm not a big proponent of social media for the reasons that I think they are not our platforms, for the reasons that I think they make us do labor for them and they actually benefit from my um, engagement with these things more than I benefit um, from from them, um, and so like I take stances, but also like against that. But you know, the the intervention is also that I think is effective. It's also I think tied in with like this fed upness, um, or seeing previous generations and being like, because I really do think you know whatever they call this generation, I don't know. I don't even want to mislabel it. Um, I don't know either. Yeah, but whatever this generation is, I think they're just looking at my parents' generation, you know, the generation before me, however, and then, like, even, like, 
my generation, like I feel implicated. It's like, especially like my generation is like, y'all put up with this? It's like, nah, we can't, this is like, you guys put up with this. You realize like this is gonna be perpetual unless somebody actually does something. And I feel like the intervention is like, they, they looked and saw and realized like we are under those same conditions. Um, and and uh, as our parents and our grandparents, mm-hmm. um, and they were like, "No, nah, I'm not." You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to subject myself to to this. You know what I mean? Um, potentially, because it's like I don't think they see power within our generation. You know what I mean? Or power that is worth like aspiring to, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 I can see that. Like, and and I feel like. I coasted on this idea of Black History Month. I coasted on this idea of Martin Luther King's dream, like coming to fruition. I coasted on these ideas of like affirmative action, which I'm not necessarily like, that's a whole different thing, but I thought these were the tools for equity, right? These, this is what was sold to me was by the time like I would be an adult, these things would be figured out, right? And I coasted on that. And I think the, the intervention is now is we they have less fewer tools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because those tools were stripped from us, whether you agree with them or not, they were in our bag to use. And they're like, well, we have less tools, you didn't gain more stuff. So, like, we gotta intervene in any way that we can on the street, social media, and and whatever um tools that we see um available. Um, and so I'm, I'm speaking towards this as like it's a generational thing, and I don't think it's ultimately a separation of generations. But I think I think there was a non-starter, and the buck stops here. We can't move forward, um, and I think that was ultimately decided by the youth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I'm, I'm I'm listening to you thinking about is is that that you are in order to engage the complexity of the moment. Like what, what I'm hearing from you is an invitation to also engage your own complicity. No doubt. Right? No like doubt. Don't, don't play with it. And I love this. I, I've said this quote by Kaisi Lehman, published, you know, put up on his Facebook. I don't know if it lives anywhere else, but I grabbed it from there. And it says there might be rigorous, honest work to be done by grounding our critiques, at least partially in our complicity. No doubt. Kaisi Lehman, a brilliant Mississippi uh, writer. Um, and I think that that is part of the back, even to, circling us back to this question of the choir, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is um, a need to think about whatever your positionality is, what is your complicity in this so that you have an opportunity to figure out how you support the inventions, interventions, and disruptions with whatever you have around. Right? Yep, yep. Yeah, because I, I don't think there's enough getting out of the way. You know what I mean? I feel like there's like all these critiques being lobbed unfairly to the people doing the work, whether it being perfect or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just like just get out the way or support. You know what I mean? Um, I think critiques are necessary, but is 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 I don't think we should be holding up whatever people are figuring out right now. I think there's a lot of wisdom that can be imparted. Um, there's a lot of things that could be built upon, and I'm not saying that, but I also think there's like a lot of obstruction and, and that will ultimately benefit everybody. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's very important, but it's always gonna be messy. You know, it's all, they're always gonna be missteps. You know what I mean? Um, and it's always gonna be the way that it's always going to be the way, not the way that you did it. You know what I mean? And, and, and being able to revel in that. So I'm thinking about these interventions in a more general sense, but I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing how like a lot of these things are playing out. Um, and, and I think, you know, based on the movement work that I'm exposed to from, from Detroit and, and the people that I engage with, like in our like localized ways, there is, of valuing and a trusting of youth and intergenerational things, right? Mm-hmm. That becomes core to the way a movement and change happens. Mm. Yeah. And I love this idea, like valuing and trusting of youth. And that could, that, 
that speaks to any relationship, right? I'm thinking about presenter to artist. I'm thinking about grantor to grantee. Like how do you, how do you, where, where do we place the value, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in these relationships um, speaks to the, the seeding and the shifting of power. And then how the, this question of trust, you know, we had the, the emergent strategy move at the speed of trust, you know, what is the, what is, what does trust mean? And, uh, I often have a conversation with folks of like, do do we actually know how to trust? Right. Like, is that, you know, right. like, I think that's a question we don't ask ourselves enough. Like do our institutions do, because we, we are set up in systems that are so concretized that trust is something else. Mm-hmm. Right? That they don't, they don't even engage trust in order to run. You do, as I say, you get the resource. It's so the transactional nature of, of the field of, of how folks engage makes it um makes trust uh, an, an unnecessary um tool but it in if we're going to shift and change if we're going to be the world that actually honors the humanity and dignity if we're going to get walk these paving stones of equity to justice then we have to reintroduce trust yeah. um and there's some brilliant work i want to shout out the whitman institute and their trust-based philanthropy and we're seeing more and more presenters being in relationships we've had that experience at complex movements mm-hmm. being in relationship with our presenters mm-hmm. um and trying to to figure that out i think um ignite arts in dallas is a perfect example of the relationships between artists and and presenters that is really grounded in trust and building together um i want to ask in in so I'm going to ask you a little bit about, as our sort of almost closing question, you move in institutions, you move through as an artist, you mm-hmm. run, um, you know, different initiatives. What are some of the things that, that um, are important to you while you move through these things that, that you feel like move, move racial justice forward? Right? Like, what are some of the things you do think about access, how you do what you do? I think doing and organizing is is a thing that is necessary. Um, amplifying voices is really important thing as as like a practice. Um, but I think what it comes down to, and this is like a passion of mine, and and a lot of things is just like always thinking what are the fringes, what is the alternative, you know what I mean, like. I feel like I, as a lifelong practice, I've been doing this. Um, and, and this has been an internalized thing before I think it became a buzzword amongst things and, and was spoken in the way that Fred Moten speaks in it. But I, like, I'm, I'm a believer in the undercommons as, as, a, way, as a way that things happen. Nice. Um, and this is a way that I've, I've practiced always. And I never, I didn't know what that was, but... You know, it's like it goes back to, you know, my grandfather's running barber shops, right? And, and that was the way that they made moves and transitions and were able to set up and set up shop in new places, right? They only knew how to do that. They didn't go to school or whatever. They had to set up a barber shop. My other grandfather having a diner, you know, in a in a rural southern community, right? Um, in in Hickory, North Carolina. Those are all the undercommons, right? But those are the things that, you know, employed, you know, my mother, my aunts, you know what I mean? And, and how many experiences they learned on how to move through institutions as they became, you know, got educations and things like that. And they draw from their experiences within the undercommons. And, and so, like, I, I draw from those things as being the counterweight, the counter argument, um, the the in some ways, so it reflects back to institutions, but also just being the alternate because these institutions will never get there far enough or fast enough for me to experience the types of freedoms that I have within these other less formalized institutions, right? And, and so waiting for those things to happen is whatever, like, you know, I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even banking on that. But I, I, being in practice of like having these other spaces that are run in very different ways 
And I'm always checking myself to see what is internalized. What am I carrying over and how do I get rid and discard of and make really obsolete those things that I felt the weight and oppression of being in these other places. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that's still imperfect, right? But I'm always calling into question the things that I've internalized and trying to shed those things um, and, and not trying to replicate and, and pass those on to people. So I even like, I call into question this idea of efficiency and all of those things, right? Um, and when, when I'm thinking about my own institutions and, and the time scales that these things operate on um, are things that I'm doing. I'm always trying to, you know, get people in tune with, if you want change to happen, if you want this thing to be different, you actually need a different time scale um, for that to happen. Um, and a different set of expectations um, in order for that to happen. Um, and, and so now where I'm, I'm coming to is like, as I teach, you know, I'm teaching design as a side note, even though, you know what I'm saying? If, if we're coming into like a closing, but like to spark off like another idea or, or a new cone opening, right. Um, is this, even this idea of professionalism, um, I'm calling into question, um, and how professionalism gets wielded against black bodies. Um, professionalism gets totally wielded against trans bodies, right? Because professionalism actually, in some ways implicates bodies and how bodies are presented um, and, and, and how and when they show up um, along with a whole lot of other things. And, and, and so, so, so I'm, I'm going to leave that, but I'm, I'm in this fight for justice. One thing that I'm setting in a very tangible way is this idea and concept of professionalism um, in order to, create very creative generative spaces mm. and generous spaces. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm going I'm I'm to leave right there because I think that's a beautiful uh, uh, phrase, generous spaces um, to generative and generous spaces is a, is a great way for us to sort of um, close this conversation. I want to um, really appreciate um, your your conver our conversation because um, the you're a systems thinker, right? You know, mm -hmm. and it's not like you know, and I don't know, folks. You know, they're like, oh, it's a conversation on the ways. Let's talk about you know how people treat each other poorly. You know, <laughs> like and there's that, but the way this conversation has shaped between you and I is about like here are the systems that are at play. Here's the interruptions, and we have to stop thinking about um, like just simply people, right? Like it's just simply people, but how people are shaped by the conditions around them, how people are shaped by what they're using, what they're, it's not, it's not, we're, we're, we're so past hopefully, but you know, not everybody, which is why we have these conversations, you know, past, right. I like who I like, who I know, who I have dinner with, you know, I've never said a bad word against. We are in a moment where we recognize the system, the very foundation, we talked about the constitution of the United States, the very foundations of the systems that we engage in are what will continue to make white supremacy and racialized capitalism the, the arbiter of success. And, and until we are interrogating those things um, about how we even move through them individually, mm -hmm and how they live inside the institutions and the work we do, what we accept, what we don't accept, um, moving towards the world, transforming the world towards one where people have the abundance that have access to all the abundance that actually is already there, their humanity, their dignity, their value is reinforced, not just by the people who know them, but because they are human beings um, yeah. in the world. Like I, I'm, I'm so grateful. Uh, for this conversation and, and its um, and its depth. Well, well th thank you, Sage. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything I haven't asked that you you're just like, huh? I would love to make sure to 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 say this. I know I often get off calls or things. I'm like, oh, why didn't I say this? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, but it's just like, I, I mean, I think we we covered a lot of ground. I think, mm -hmm. you know, if if this conversation was, you know rooted or or like you know 
steered in a different way, there might have been a slightly different conversation, but I think this conversation is what it is because of like what how it was set up. Um, and I feel like I was able to cover a lot of ground. I think as a continuation, you know, because, you know, like it dawns on me is like, you know, you reflecting back when we're talking about systems um, and then not so much about people. And I was like, well, what does that say about me? So I'm like thinking about being real self-conscious at, at a certain point. But also like, I would love to like rethink that conversation on a person le- like uh, on a scale mm-hmm. of people. You know what I mean? Not now, but you know, that's, yeah. that's the thing like closing if we were to think about it. Mm. I hear a part two coming folks. I hear part <laughs> two coming folks. We'll see what happens. Wes, thank you so much for your time. And I appreciate you so much. I appreciate this, this um, decade that, we have had an opportunity to know each other and be in work together. And uh, I'm really excited. There's uh, uh, folks get to hear what I get to hear sitting and sitting with you at a kitchen table. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> hey, have a great day. This has been a recording of Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. The podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, Lane. Lane is a program of the National Performance Network. Lane is sponsored by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. If you would like more information on Lane, our cohort members, or the National Performance Network, please visit www.npnweb.org. Thank you for listening. And please, share Tactile with your friends and colleagues.